Welcome to the preaching podcast of Life Point Church. We're so glad you've joined us here. If you're ever in the Baton Rouge area, please stop by. We'd love to meet you. For more information on our church or Pastor Donovan, please visit our website at golifepoint.com. But it was, it was an amazing, amazing Sunday, and we, we were privileged to baptize J.C., and then God started moving. Kennedy got the Holy Ghost. Kids were praying. Adults were praying. It was just a phenomenal, phenomenal Sunday. And uh, just, just, just God's doing some great stuff here at LifePoint. And, and He's going to do some more. He's going to do some more. We're in big little books. I think this is part 16. This is Hosea chapter 2. Definitely part 1 of chapter 2 of uh, Hosea. Um, and so let me say a prayer and we'll jump right in. Father, thank you for your faithfulness, your goodness, your word. Lead us in this big little book, Lord. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. All right. So uh, chapter one, I, I mentioned to you about Hosea. Hosea is a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel. This is during the divided kingdom where you have Israel to the north, Judah to the south. And Hosea is, there's a lot of gloom in here, but there's a lot of hope. I've discovered a lot of hope. It's, it's, inters, inters, uh, it's interspersed in here, but it's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's there. And, and there's more of it than you would think, especially with the, the subject matter that we're dealing with. So let's jump right in. We're in chapter 2. And we'll start with verse 1. It's kind of weird, the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2. Some do not even have a chapter 2, verse 1. They kind of put chapter 2's verse 1 at the end of chapter 1. But I'm going to pick it up with the say to your brethren, which is verse 1 of chapter 2 in some versions. So here it is. Say to your brethren, my people, and to your sisters... Mercy is shown. Now, from this and through the entire chapter, we're going to see that God is going to completely redeem Israel. From verse 11 of chapter 1, we already saw that the kid named Jezreel had his name redeemed. In other words, uh, it meant one thing. And the Lord's saying, but it's going to mean this. And now these two, Lo Ruhamah, meaning no mercy, and Lo Ami, meaning not my people, are going to have their names redeemed as well. Indicating that Israel as a whole, that northern kingdom, is once again going to be regarded as my people because mercy has been shown. Now... What had been a sign of judgment in the names, those three names, Jezreel, Lo-Ruhamah, and Lo-Ami, what had been a sign of judgment is going to become evidence of redemption. And remember, it's not mercy if it's deserved. If it's deserved, it's uh, justice. And so... When, when you deserve the worst, and the Lord's declared, this is going to happen, this bad stuff. You're going to get what you deserve. And then you don't, 
and instead you get God's best, that's not justice. That's mercy. That's what mercy looks like. And that's what we see in verse 1. But having said that, we know their names are going to mean something different than what had been prophesied in the negative. But to get there, we've got to go through some other stuff. Israel is still in a mess in chapter 2. So we're going to dive back into some of the gloomy prophecies and the warnings about Israel. So look at verses 2 and 3. Bring charges against your mother. Bring charges, for she is not my wife, nor am I her husband. Let her put away her harlotries from her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and expose her as in the day she was born and make her like a wilderness and set her like a dry land and slay her with thirst. Okay, that's gloomy. Didn't I tell you it was gloomy? It's PG and it's gloomy, okay? She's not my wife. God paints this picture of Israel as an adulteress. The marriage relationship has been tragically, dramatically broken by her unfaithfulness. Israel had made herself, he's painting this picture, available to other gods. She was living this lewd lifestyle, trying to entice and seduce those to whom she was not pledged to in, in, in covenant relationship. And she uses, as the text says, her body as a means, as a weapon. Hubbard says that she, she opened up her shirt, she, she enticed lovers. It was intentional. Are you with me? I'm trying to be careful. The text goes on to say that if she did not change, then she would be stripped, but not in a seducing way, but in a humiliating way, and she would be left to, wil to wither in a wilderness wasteland. But th this is a promise of future judgment, and what's fascinating about this to me is that there's still a residual blessing on her even as she's worshiping false gods. A residual blessing on her even though she's unfaithfulness. You have this picture of Gomer and Hosea, but God and Israel. So here's the deal. Like with Gomer, the fancy clothes that she wearing, she's wearing, bought and paid for by Hosea. I heard a story, Skip Heitzig talk, talked about it, it's pretty funny. He said that uh, this man and, and his wife were having a conversation, and she's like, I'm going to go shopping. And he's like, well, for goodness sake, whatever you do, you know, we had not got paid yet, don't spend any money. And she's like, oh, okay, I'm just going to go window shopping. So she goes shopping, she comes back, and she's got this brand new dress on. I mean, she dropped some money, and she bought a brand new dress. And he's like, what in the world did you do? She said, well, I, I saw it, honey, and I tried it on, and it just looked so good. And, and I, just, I just heard this little voice saying, you need to buy that dress. And he said, well, honey, you should have said, get thee behind me, Satan. She said, well, I did. And he whispered in my ear and said, 
It looks good from behind, too. You need to go ahead and get that dress, right? <laughs> so she's wearing clothes that have been bought and paid for by Hosea. The house that she stays in, or she's at least, she can stay in it if she, if she will, it bought and paid for by Hosea. Although the relationship is broken and needs repairing, his blessing for her and on her continues. But, but the point is this, when that blessing's removed, when, when that blessing uh, ceases, well, she's going to have to deal with some trouble. And it's the same with Israel and the Lord. And honestly, it's the same with us. Uh, I'll never forget when I, when I walked away. Some of y'all know my story. I mean, I walked away from the Lord for a few years. and I was raised in church. I was a young preacher. Things happened. I walked away. And, and I started changing my way of thinking. And I got, first of all, I got offended. And then my offense started turning into a root of bitterness. And then it began to produce the fruit of, of I wasn't behaving right. I changed my point of view. I, I devalued the word. I valued my own opinion a lot. I became blind. I mean, when you start with a little offense, man, the end of it can go very sour for you in the end. And that's, that's where I was. So I was offended. But as I was going through this process and walking away from the Lord, walking away from my convictions, questioning everything, uh, rebelling, it was the seeds of rebellion. As I was walking away, I'm telling you, I grew up in church. I knew what the presence of God felt like. I felt the presence of the Lord stronger than I had ever felt the presence of the Lord in my life. But I made the mistake of thinking that God was approving of my own opinions and my point of view. Never mistake the presence of God for His approval. I didn't realize it was his mercy. It was the residual of his mercy moving on me and saying, I love you, Donovan. You're losing your mind and you're losing your grip on me. That's really what it was. It was God's mercy that was, that was reaching out to me. His anointing does not equal his approval. That's a hard lesson to learn. His anointing does not equal his approval. You can be living like the devil and feel the presence of God. That does not mean that he endorses your lifestyle. It means that he's a good God and he's a merciful God. And he's reaching to you. He's drawing you. And, and, and it took me a long time to realize that. But eventually, uh, the chills went away. The goosebumps went away. I didn't feel the presence of God anymore. Because I was bound and determined to do things my way. And if you want to walk away, he'll let you walk away. When the prodigal son left the father's house, the father didn't, cha didn't chase after him. Probably tried to talk him into staying, son. You don't want to do this. This is a bad idea. You need to listen to me. But, but the son walked away. And the father did not chase after him. He let him go. The Lord will let you go if you want to go. But check this out. These next verses. Are you with me? These next verses. Man, they send a chill down my spine. Verses 4 through 5. The Lord says this. I will not have mercy on her children. For they are the children of harlotry. For their mother has played the harlot. She who conceived them has behaved shamefully. 
For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. Guzik states about these verses, and I tend to agree. If Israel as a whole is represented as an unfaithful wife, then her children represent the individual people of Israel. And if they do not turn back to the Lord, then they will personally experience his judgment. So this is stout. This is painting a picture for us. And Israel individually and as a whole did not turn back to the Lord for a long time. And so you have this, this being said, Israel as a whole, the mother, it says, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread, my water, my wool, and my linen. So although Hosea still, there was a residual blessing, she, she wanted more. It wasn't enough. She wanted to go outside the constraints of her marriage. And she said, after all, my lovers, they give me bread. They give me water. They give me wool. They give me linen. What's in it for me? My behavior is justified because of the stuff that I get from these others. And, and Israel was justifying her behavior because times were prosperous. I mean, so what if we worship Baal? We're getting some stuff in return. We made agreements with other nations and we're getting stuff. Bread, water, wool, linen. Good stuff. And, 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 and Gomer, she was getting this, this stuff outside of her marriage covenant, her relationship with Hosea. It was extramarital, outside the confines of her covenant. Her, her covenant was not enough for her. She, she wanted more. She, she wanted her cake and she wanted to eat it too. She wanted to, to, to be free, but she still wanted stuff from Hosea, but she wanted to be free. And, and it, it's just an amazing story. She, she just walked away from the love of Hosea for others. And Israel walked away from the love of Jehovah for other gods, for the Baals. And in the end, the Lord was saying that if you don't change, you're going to lose the residual blessing. You're going to end up losing it all. The bread, the water, the wool, the linen, the other lovers. You're going to be left to wither away. Are you with me? Hebrews eleven twenty four through 25. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. King James, the pleasure of sin for a season. You can walk away from the Lord and have a good time. You really can. There's a good time to be had. But if you've ever tasted and seen that the Lord is good, nothing else will ever satisfy you. And sin will take you much further than you ever thought you would go. You'll end up doing things you never thought you'd do, thinking thoughts you never thought you would think. And one day you'll wake up in a pig pen like the prodigal. Moses chose to suffer for a season rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. James 1, 12 through 15. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desire and enticed, then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's finished, when it's full grown, brings forth death. 
It, it just does. Death means separation. It, it just it brings a separation from the, the life that God wants you to have. When we invest in the future by obeying now, we will reap in the future that blessing. But we forfeit that future blessing when we disobey now. When it's uncomfortable to obey now, we forfeit a future blessing. Because, beloved, Galatians says it, don't be deceived. God's not mocked for whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. He who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not lose heart. That's written to a church. You know, we want to say, well, I, I got saved and everything's going to be all right. I got saved and everything's going to be all right if I continue. If I lose heart and back away and do what I want to do instead of what God has required of me and what my covenant relationship is demanding of me, the fidelity that is demanded of me in my relationship with God, then, beloved, I will reap Corruption. I will reap the whirlwind, as the wise man said. Now, God is going to show how that he's going to undo all that Gomer did, or Israel did. Or you could say it would apply to us as well. There's, there's, let me show you how God is going to undo all this mess. Gomer's in a mess. Everybody say, Gomer's in a mess. And it ain't Gomer Pyle. You know what I'm saying. Gomer's in a mess. And Israel's in a mess. And sometimes we get in a mess. Now let me show you. Here's, here's how the Lord can fix it. Therefore, behold, I will hedge up your way with thorns and wall her in so that she cannot find her paths. She will chase her lovers, but not overtake them. Yes, she will seek them, but not find them. Then she will say, I will go and return to my first husband. For then it was better for me than now. For she did not know that I gave her grain, new wine and oil, and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. Notice this, I will hedge up your way with thorns. In other words, to bring Israel to repentance, God promises to set a hedge of thorns on the side of her path so that if she veered off the right path, the paths of righteousness, then she would experience pain. If she deviated from what was right, it would hurt. When God hedges our way with thorns. Our first reaction is, ouch! You know, no! Stop it! And, and we think that God is against us or something's dreadfully wrong. Well, really, something is dreadfully right. And God is for us. He's trying to guide us and keep us on the right path and keep us from finding the wrong path. He's tripping us up, 
trying to make a way of escape so that we can't catch those things that we're chasing after. He's trying to awaken us to understand in the long run, that's going to hurt me. And, and, And this little pain I'm feeling now is just to remind me that I have a better lover. I have the lover of my soul. I have my first husband. I have the one that I'm in relationship with. It's trying, he's trying to drive us back to our first love. Remember in the book of Revelation, that first love is trying to drive us back to our first love. And, and, and again, I, I just know I was raised around this, and I met the Lord at an early age, so I was marked early. If you've ever been marked, you can't get away. You can't get away. You can run and you can hide and you can cuss and you can shake your fist at the sky, but you cannot get away. Is that not what he said? He said, you're going to run after them, but you're not going to be able to catch them. I'm going to put these thorn hedges around you. You're going to run into them and it's going to hurt. It's a way of, of keeping us in the right path. Hebrews 12 And have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons? My son, don't despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked for him, for whom the Lord, come on, whom he loves, he chastens. He chastens those whom he loves and scourges every son whom he receives. He's trying to head you in. Trying to head you in. Sometimes you have this hedge of protection, Job. This, this, this hedge of protection. The devil said, you put a hedge around him. Who knows? Maybe Job's hedge had thorns to keep him in place. I mean, he was a covenant man. He offered blood sacrifice every day. He prayed. He knew the most high God. So maybe his hedge had some thorns keeping him in place. We, we used to sing that old song, Lord, build a fence around me. You know, maybe it's like razor wire fence. You bump into it, ow, you know. Well, I'm going to keep you in place, son. You, you don't need to get out of this place. Well, that sounds like a trap. It sounds like protection to me. It sounds like a safe place to me. Uh. Tina and Miranda, we went over to uh, we went over to Tina's the other night. She fried some fish for us and hung out with her the, the, the folks and the, the whole family. You know, Miranda was there, and and, and they they had uh, they had gone and picked they had gone and picked blackberries in Hammond, Mississippi, State Line, Mississippi. They they had gone and picked uh, uh, blackberries, and they had they had cuts. All over their hands and arms from picking those blackberries. We went to uh, Alexander Jay's, the, the Couillon Chateau over here. The, the staff, the boys stay in. And, and, and they have these, these uh, blackberry bushes around, around the front. And they don't care, you know. They don't care. Me and Valerie drive up and we're like, blackberries for days ripe. Some of them rotting on the vine. We go crazy. We get bags. We're like, Valerie's putting them all in a bag, 
I'm eating them as I go. I'm just like, ah, ah, ah. this is like awesome. You know, black ones, red ones, just eating. And she gets a whole bag of them. And on Father's Day, she made me a, like we picked them on Saturday. On Sunday, she made a blackberry cobbler that was amazing. But you had to be careful because there's thorns on those bushes. There's stickers on there sticking you, cutting you, stuff like that. And, and the Lord was saying, I'm, I'm going to put this hedge around you, Israel. And, and I used to fuss and cuss at the Lord because I was trying to be as wild and not care like some of my friends were, but I couldn't help but care. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I could not fake it. I was the one that didn't fit in. I just didn't fit. And I tried really, really hard. It's because the Lord had put that hedge around. I'll never forget, I was at a church. I swore I'd never go to church, but I ended up at this church. And and Cheryl Beckton, they've been here and preached for us before. But Cheryl Beckton, years ago, she's a young thing. And I was younger. And she got up in my face and she said, what's wrong with you, Donovan? And I'm like, nothing. What are you talking about? You know, like, uh, cool. I'm a rock star. And she, and she's like, you ain't nothing like these people around you. You need to get yourself to church. You need to get to the house of God. God's got a call of God on your life. And I'm like, Shh, like, stop it. That's not true. You know, people are going to hear you. But she was reading my mail. It was true. I just couldn't fit in. God knows how to get you. Remember what the Lord said to Saul of Tarsus? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Acts 26, 14, a goad's like a cattle prod, like a spur. It stings, it sticks, it hurts. When you go against the call of God on your life, the result is pain. So what the Lord was after is that what she would end up saying, I will go and return to my first husband. When we thought our relationship with God was just too boring and restrictive and we thought we had found freedom and we did things our own way, when the party was over and the friends were gone and the guilt was there and we were empty still and we find ourselves in a pig pen, we're like, well, you know, it wasn't so bad following the Lord. And, uh, you know, I've dealt with people and, and married couples and you know, I, I'll hear it. I can, I, can, I can tell that's where one of the spouses is going. Um, you know, the grass is greener on the other side. Even with a great spouse, the grass is greener. And then, and then they find out later it was only green because it was growing on top of a septic tank, you know, on a MODAD system. And they're like, well, it's not what I thought. In our walk with God, our idols seem attractive until God begins to work on us and expose them and call them out, call us out. And eventually, we're ready to return to our first love. With Gomer, Israel, the prodigal, with us. Often it takes us hitting rock bottom. You know, you've heard that. Well, they've just not hit the bottom yet. Well, you just keep running, you'll hit the bottom. I just had a conversation with someone this week about a family member of theirs who's just in an unbelievable, unreal situation, a prodigal who's run so hard and run so far. And, and he was just, he was concerned. And he said, well, she's just not, she's not ready. She's just not, and she's way down there. But she's got a little further to go. She'll hit her bottom. 
She'll come to her senses. And um, the first statement of verse 8 is, is striking. For she did not know that I gave her grain. Even when Israel went after other gods, the Lord was still providing for her. I showed you that. And his great unselfish love for Israel was there. Uh, even though Israel took what God provided and prepared it for Baal. That's what he said. I gave her this gold and she turned around and prepared it for Baal. The Lord still loved Israel. Hosea provided for Gomer. She spent it on her affairs. Guzik paints this graphic and stunning picture. Listen to this. Are you with me? That's already 801. It's as if Hosea went to the house of Gomer's lover where she lived apart from her husband and in adultery. He knew that this scoundrel of a man couldn't provide for her. That she lived in poverty and rags. So Hosea knocks on the door, speaks to the man who answered, Are you the man living with Gomer? The man wondered what business it was of Hosea's. Then he revealed, I'm Hosea. I'm her husband. I've brought these groceries and money so she can be provided for. When Hosea left, Gomer and her lover must have thought he was a fool. And boy, they had a great dinner together with the food Hosea brought. But this is how the Lord loves us. Think about that. This is how the Lord loves us. Lavishing, blessing on us. Even when we are worshiping idols, providing us with blessings, we waste on other gods. Listen to this statement. It says, which they prepared for Baal. Here's a principle. You ready for this? Whatever we give to an idol... We got it from God. God gave it to us. And we gave it to an idol. Whether it's your time, your talent, your treasure. When it's given to an idol, you're taking what you got from God and giving it to an idol. Listen to this. Again, this this is powerful. God gives to a man the trees of the forest and the iron in the ground. He gives man the brains to make an axe and nails from the iron. And the energy to cut down the tree. The skill to fashion the wood into beams. God gives man the cleverness to make a handle from the wood. And head from the iron. And combine it into an effective hammer. Then man takes the beams, the nails, and the hammer. And he nails God to the cross. Where God willingly stretches out his arms. And dies on that cross. To take the guilt and penalty man sin deserved. And to make a new restored relationship between God and man. Is that amazing? That's our God. That's our God. You're unfaithful. He remains faithful. You take all your stuff that he's blessed you with and you give it to idols. And God says, I'm going to love you with an everlasting love. I'm still coming after you. I'm going to build a hedge around you. It may hurt a little bit, but I'm coming after you. That's powerful. Verse, verses 9 through 13. Therefore, I will return and take away my grain in its time and my new wine in its season and will take back my wool and my linen given to cover her nakedness. Now I will uncover, uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers and no one shall deliver her from my hand. I will also cause all her mirth to cease her feast days, her new moons, her Sabbaths, all her appointed feasts. And I will destroy her vines and her fig trees, of which she has said, These are my wages. 
what my lovers have given me. So I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall eat them. I will punish her for the days of the bales to which she burned incense. She decked herself with her earrings and jewelry and went after her lovers. But me she forgot, says the Lord. So let's take that apart. I will return and take away my grain. Again, God gave grain to Israel. She, in turn, gave what he had provided as a sacrifice to Baal. So eventually, God's going to take it away. Israel's going to feel the deprivation and the need, and, and it's going to be an opportunity. It's mercy. It's going to be an opportunity for her to return to her provider, her real provider. Me, she forgot. Israel enjoyed prosperity during the time of Jeroboam II. We talked about that. But she used that as idolatry, sought pleasure. So God's going to take away her prosperity. And there's something about being in a covenant with God. It just, it just marks you forever. Listen to verses 14 and 15. Therefore, behold, I will... Listen to this. I told you it's gloomy, but there's so much hope in here. Therefore, behold, I will allure her. Will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. I will give her vineyards from there. And the valley of Achor... As a door of hope, she shall, she shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. I will allure her. I will speak comfort to her there. Once Israel had felt the discomfort of her deprivation, once she hits rock bottom, then she's going to hear this voice whispering in her ear, come away with me. I want to I restore you. I want to comfort you. And she's going to be ready to hear the voice of her covenant partner again. Allure her. Spurgeon said of that word, this is a singular kind of power. I will allure her. Not I will drive her. Not even I will draw her. Or I will drag her. Or I will force her. No, I will allure her. It's a very remarkable word, and it teaches us that the allurement of love surpasses in power all other forces. That is how the devil ruins us. He tempts us with honeyed words, sweet utterances, and the baits of pleasure, and the like. And the Lord in mercy determines that in all truthfulness, he will outbid the devil and will win us to himself by fascinations, enticements, and allurements which shall be stronger than any force of resistance we may offer. It's a wonderfully precious word, Spurgeon says. I will allure her. Stand with me right now. And then this idea of the valley of Achor as a door of hope. I'm going to bring her out into this wilderness and speak words to her of comfort. The valley of Achor, Joshua 7, 26 this is where Achan failed so miserably when they were coming to Ai. They had, the, the children of Israel had come across the Jordan into the promised land. They've already taken Jericho and they're going to Ai. And Achan stole stuff from Jericho. Remember the word of the Lord said, don't take stuff from Jericho. And Achan took it, some gold, some silver, a Babylonian garment. And the result was tragedy at Ai. They lost soldiers. They were not supposed to lose anyone. Joshua is devastated. What has happened? It's revealed that Achan has lied and stolen and disobeyed. He's a blight on the community. 
And so in the valley of Achor, he, his family, his animals, everybody, they're stoned. All their stuff is burned. They're destroyed. You're talking about trouble. And the Lord's going to say, but in the valley of trouble, I, I have the ability. God's restoration ability is so great that he can take valleys of trouble and turn them into doors of hope. Where you lost so much, where there was so much hurt and pain, the valley of your worst defeat, God can turn it into a door that leads to your greatest victory and ultimately to your destiny and your calling. She will sing there as in the days of her youth. She ain't got a song. She's wasted her life. She's lived the life of a prostitute. She's been unfaithful. But he says, honey, come, a, come apart over here. Let me get you out of that environment. I'm going to minister to you. I'm going to speak words to you. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to give you hope to such an extent that you sing songs like you did when you were a little girl. Before you got jaded and scarred and messed up. God can put a song in your heart that is the song of an innocent child. Even though you're not so innocent, He's able to restore you. Restore that frame of mind and that state of your soul and your spirit he restores my soul aren't you glad you don't have to be that bitter old man or that bitter old woman that's shaking your fist at the sky and, and always filled with regrets like man if I'd have just not been unfaithful to the Lord no he can get you aside and say, I can restore the years. The locust and the canker worm has eaten. I'm going to put a new song in your mouth, honey. I'm going to put a new song in your mouth. It's the songs that you sang when you were a kid. And I know you're not a kid. But you're going to feel like it again. Innocent. Pure. Woo! Restored. This is my wife, Gomer. The love of my life. Oh, I shouldn't be here, honey. Oh, yeah, you should be here. I love you with an everlasting love. This is my Israel. That's what God was going to end up saying. This is my Israel. And if he would do that under an old covenant, right? And we're in a better covenant that's a new one. Hey, you think you messed up so bad God's written you off? No, not on your life. This is my son. Oh, I don't deserve... That's what the prodigal said. I don't, be, I don't deserve to be called a son. I want to be a servant. Oh. Now, you're my boy. Here's the credit card. That's what that ring was. Here's the family MX. Go for it. Yeah. Here's your sandals. Here's your robe. Kill the fatted calf. My son. My son. But I, I made a fool out of myself. Anybody ever made a fool out of yourself? Living for God? I mean in a bad way. I know we're fools for Christ, but I'm talking about in a bad way. Oops. Man, sometimes you get those memories. We used to sing that old song, Roll Back the Curtain of Memory Now and Then. And sometimes I'm like, no, 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 shut that. Shut that curtain. Shut that curtain. I don't remember that. I don't remember that. Stop it. And I have to say, Lord, thank you for your goodness. Your kindness, 
your mercy, restoration, renewal. If he can do it for me, he can do it for you. Amen? Amen. Lift your hands to him and thank him for his kindness and his mercy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, sweet Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were blessed. For more information on our church, Pastor Donovan, or service times, please visit our website at golifepoint.com.